0: Take a minute to visit rachelcarman.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen.
1: Good day, everyone. We are picking up again in part four of our study of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 11, the second half, and going all the way through 12. We'll be right back with that.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi,
0: everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
1: Okay, so the danger of accepting someone else's outline when you're going to teach through a gospel or a biblical Study is that sometimes the chunks of passages are huge, and that is the challenge today so I am really having to boil it down and really want to challenge you to make sure you take time to read this passage and dig out all of the gems here, because I'm just going to be able to have time today to get the highlights, and there's so much I don't want you to miss. It's really quite glorious. So again, we're going to do Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27, and go all the way through the end of 12. I mean, that is really... That's a huge goal, but that's what we're going to do, and so we're going to do it together, so hang with me. First, I want to start by looking at all of the verbs associated with Christ, because remember, he's the action-oriented servant of God. Mark is about Jesus on the move. This is our inspiration to be on the move with his gospel, the gospel message of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection and sure return. That is our message, and we need to be active about sharing that message, living that message, pointing people To the Christ, and that's what we see throughout this gospel. And so, the verbs in this passage associated with Christ he walked, answered, told, knew, required, asked, responded, explained, recognized, taught, warned, sat, watched, waited, called, and highlighted. Wow, it's a lot of different verbs. And so, again, what I want you to see is how is it that God's gifted you to engage the culture, your neighbors, your family with the truth of Jesus Christ? Because that's also what we see in the life of Christ in the gospels altogether, is we see Jesus varying his engagement for those different people, the different audiences, sometimes with an individual, sometimes with all the disciples, some with two or three of the disciples, some with a massive crowd. And also, again, with the different sects of the religious leaders also. So all of these different interaction points. And you will see huge disparities in how Jesus responds and interacts. For example, all the compassion that he has as he sees the people who come in desperate circumstances for healing, for listening with their questions, really wanting to know. You really see Jesus's ability to see their heart and to know Where they really are, that he dared to look at them. I'm struck by how many times it talks about in the gospel that Jesus saw. He took time to really see someone, right? That's powerful. But you also see that translated into how he sees the religious leaders. And that's what we're going to look at today in this passage, because remember, in part four of this gospel, it's all about the rejection of the servant. And that's Pretty characteristic of the religious leaders of this time. And they're going to come to him, right? And just like Jesus could see the heart of the fathers and the mothers and the different people who came to him with different circumstances and questions and needs throughout his ministry, he can see the religious leaders and what they're trying to do, too. So we're going to see him interact with them today four different times. We're going to see them question him and test him in this passage today? And in fact, the question that I want you to think about that Jesus actually asks in chapter 12, verse 15, he asks, why are you testing me? What's this about? What gives? And I want you to think about that question in regard to your own life, right? How are you testing Jesus or God? How are you pushing it? Instead of surrendering, instead of submitting, you're testing, right? You're, it's just never enough. You've got to have one more thing, one more sign, one more fleece, right? Go back and study that. Go back and study that. The fleecing wasn't a good thing. It was a doubt issue, right? You and I need to step out in faith and not waste time about obedience, but obey, right? Wrestle it through. Talk to God. Ask him your questions. He's big enough to deal with your wrestle. But then get on with obedience. Get on with obedience. That's what we're called to. But Jesus, I know that's there been many times in my life when he would just say, I've never heard him speak audibly, but I can imagine that he would like to say to me, why are you testing me? Why are you testing me? And I think it's important for us to really drill down. If you find yourself in a place where you're doubting or you're testing, or you're angry, right? Be honest about where you are with your relationship with God and with Christ. Why? What is it? What's going on there? Because that's what he's asking them here today in this passage. And so I'm going to suggest that I believe that these four interactions with various groups of the religious leaders, Jesus set up in our Chapter We looked at last time when he cleansed the temple for the second time that really got their attention. And you'll remember that we talked about how they really wanted to seize him, but they didn't because of the crowds, because the crowds were astonished. They were ticked, but the crowds were astonished. And so they felt like they really couldn't do anything. Right. So then they're going to get to just where they're just questioning him and testing him. So, again, for time. We pick up in verse 27, and guess what? Jesus is back at the temple. This is the third time he's at the temple in three days. So he comes into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, looks around, leaves, goes spend the night in Bethany, comes back the next day, cleanses the temple, right, teaches, then leaves again, and then on the third day comes back. So we find him back in the temple here in verse 27. And he's walking around and the elders are just almost immediately asking him a question. It says the chief priest and the scribes and the elders picking up in verse 27. They began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question first. And if you can answer this question, then I'll answer you. But if you can't answer this question, then I'm not going to answer you. That was implied. He didn't say that second half. He says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. So then they have like a little powwow. They all circle up and they begin reasoning among themselves. It says saying, oh goodness, if we say from heaven, then he'll say then why did you not believe in John? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet answering Jesus. They said, we do not know. We do not know. They said, so Jesus responds, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Is as though Jesus is like, yeah, no, You can't even answer the question about John the Baptist. You don't even have the courage to answer this question. I'm not even sure you want to know the answer to this question. You are acting out of fear to the people instead of fear of God. So yeah, I'm not going to answer you. It's kind of remarkable, actually. It can't be both. They know that. And it can't be neither, right? So what authority does Jesus have? He said that he's come from God. That's his authority. And then they say, we don't know. I wonder, were they willing to even think about it? Did they even care about it? We pick up now in the first part of chapter 12. So he's already had this interaction with the chief priest and the scribes. And then he launches into this prophetic parable about himself. And I just want to encourage you, you've got to read this parable. I'm not going to read it in our time today because we've got so much I want to cover. But this is Jesus telling in a parable form exactly what's going to happen to him. He drops it right here after being confronted by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he's saying this parable. It says he began to teach them in parables and he tells this whole thing. And it is exactly what he is facing in just the few coming days. Picking up in verse 10, he says, have you not read the scripture? Now, what you need to know is the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes prided themselves on knowing the scriptures. They knew the scripture. They wrote it and rewrote it. They researched it. They quoted it. They studied. They memorized it. They knew scripture. So when Jesus says in verse 10, have you not read this scripture? That's an insult to them. Surely they had read this scripture. And then he quotes it. The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes verse 12, and they were seeking to seize him, but they feared the people. This is over and over and over. Note these remarks in the gospels about the religious leaders fearing the people. And they understood that they spoke the parable against them, so they left him and they went away. That's the first questioning of authority. Second, picking up in verse 13, Then they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to him. So again, all these different groups of religious leaders are coming to Jesus, questioning his authority, testing him. And so here in verse 13, this is another wave of questions. They come to trap him, but they acknowledge him as teacher. They say to him this. They came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are truthful And defer to no one. Now wait just a minute. If he's truthful, if you believe him to be truthful, then what has he already said about himself? What has he already declared? He's already declared that he's the son of God. He's already declared that he has the the authority to forgive sin. And you're saying that he's truthful. So that sounds a little bit like flattery to me says and you defer to no one you are not partial to anyone but teach the way of God and truth that's two times they referred to truth is it lawful to pay a poll tax to caesar now this is a loaded question because the taxes that the romans put on the jews was exorbitant and they didn't want to have to pay the taxes but not to do so was considered rebellious inside of Rome. So they're coming to Jesus asking him, so what do you think about this? Are we obligated? Is it right? Is it lawful for us to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, Remember, I was talking just a few minutes ago. It's remarkable through the gospel narratives when Jesus, it says that Jesus saw the woman um, with the bleeding disorder. He saw her. He saw the father. He saw the mother. He saw this person, blind Bartimaeus, all these different people. It says Jesus saw. Even he saw the crowds. He could see and he knew instantly because he was the son of God. He could see straight to their heart and know. And we also see it here with those that were kind of trying to trap him. It says he knew their hypocrisy. He said to them, why are you testing me? Why are you doing this? Okay, I'll go along. Bring me a denarius. So they brought him a denarius and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? So imagine he took a coin and he turned the question right around to them. So again, this is another thing you can trace to the gospel narratives is how does Jesus turn the questions right back on somebody else? Just study the questions that Jesus asked. It's a great study. So he turns it around. Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And so Jesus responded, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God. Wow. It actually says, and they were amazed at him. What a great answer. Look, you go all the way back to Genesis, the creation narrative. And what do you learn there? We are created. He created man and woman in his image. We have his imprint on us. We are his And so the whole thing that Jesus is saying here is, look, it's just money. You give money to Caesar. His, his image is on this. His inscription is on this. You give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? But God's image is on you and you need to give yourself to God. That's the answer that he gives them. So that's wave number two. Then picking up in 18, they're coming in fast. Some Sadducees came to him. And they began to question him saying, teacher, the Sadducees come with this hypothetical question. Again, motives just to trap him, right? Motives just to test test him. And they come and they say, Moses wrote to us that a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child. His brother should marry her and raise up children to his brother. So that's their question but with a twist. They said, so this brother marries this woman and then he dies. And so the next brother marries this woman, but he dies. And so on through seven brothers. No kidding. This is their question, right? And they say, who is she married to in the resurrection? Your questions are now taking on ridiculous characteristics. This, this is outlandish, right? He just cuts completely to the chase and he says, you are misunderstanding scripture. God is a God of the living, not the dead. You are scrambling this up. You are working so hard to trap me and trick me that you're missing the point of the passage. Right after this, we'll pick up with question number four.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
1: Okay, so then we pick up in verse 28. Now, there's a little shift here. So we've already had the chief priest and the scribes and the elders ask him a question. Then we had the Pharisees and the Herodians ask him a question. Then we had the Sadducees come with a question. Now get this. There's a little shift here, and I want to invite you to dig deeper. We're going to pick up in verse 28. Then it says this, one of the scribes came. So the scribes came, a group of scribes, and these are all unnamed. We don't have any of these guys' names. Another one comes. It says, he came and heard them arguing and recognizing that Jesus answered them well. The scribe asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Now, here, ladies and gentlemen, here's a good question, right? It's not convoluted like who's the woman going to be married to of the seven brothers. That's kind of a crazy question. It's not A political question, who we're going to pay tax to or not. It's not an authority question. Jesus has already answered that, right? This is a really good question. And yet, we need to do a little review so we can really understand. You'll remember that with Moses, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? Then the religious leaders took those 10 commandments and extrapolated them to 613. So they took each one of them and explained and defined and parsed the words, right? And 613 rules that all the people were supposed to follow all the time, right? And so it's gone from 10 to 613. And now this one scribe is coming and saying, What's the most important one? Now, how are you going to answer? What's the most important from 613? I'm thinking that's what the, scri- the scribe is thinking. Six He's got to pick one from 613. But Jesus doesn't pick one from the 613. Jesus does not even pick one from the 10. Not specifically. He picks one that encompasses both the 10 and the 613. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. Saying this, the foremost is this, Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Wow. I believe there are several mic drop moments for Jesus, and this has to be one of the top ones, right? Not only did he answer the question, right? Summarizing the 613 and the 10, right? Boiling them down. He says, I see your 10. I see your 613. Here are the two. And not only that, he didn't just give what the foremost one was, He said, I will tell you what the most important one is and the second most important one is. And in so doing, he summarized the law and the prophets. Wow. Wow. And so if we look at what is it that he's saying here, Jesus is saying there is only one God the Lord, our God, he is one. And that was significant because in the cultures, especially in the old Testament, but also in the new Testament, there was polytheism, all of these different gods, multiple gods. And the whole point was the Lord, the Lord, our God, he is one. And we know that there's a Trinity, a father, son, and Holy spirit three in one. And that's what Jesus repeats right here. One and only Worship him alone and love him with all of your heart, all your desires, all your wants, all your longings, loving with all of your soul, your will, your attitudes, loving with all your mind, your thoughts, your focus, your meditations, loving with all of your strength, your passion, your, enter- your energy. That's what he says is the most important thing. And then the second most important thing he says is to love your neighbor as yourself. Consider, serve others, everyone else. Everyone else is your neighbor. Everyone outside your skin is your neighbor. And you're to love them as you love yourself. Consider them, serve them, take care of them as you would yourself. That's what he says for the most important thing. Looking then in verse 32, the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have stated that he is one, and there is no one beside him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and all of your strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Then it says this in 34, don't miss this. When Jesus saw that he had answered him intelligently, Jesus said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus saw him. He saw that this man, this scribe came with a reasonable question, a really good question. And Jesus answered him and he saw that this scribe got it. And he looked at him and he said, you're not far. You're not far. And I wonder about that unnamed scribe. What happened to him? What went on and happened to him? And then Jesus began to say, as he stood in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David and David himself and the Holy Spirit said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? So Jesus, after these four questions that they've come and asked him, he asks a question. And yet... The crowd enjoyed him, but the religious leaders had no answer. Then right here at the very, very end of this chapter 12 is one of my most favorite passages. The fact that this is in Holy Writ just warms my soul. I think this is such a beautiful moment. You've probably read it before, but I want to look at it with fresh eyes. I want to dare you to look at this and meditate on this. And I want you to have it in the context of what we just went over, right? So in chapter 11, we saw Jesus prophesy and come into Jerusalem. As the son of David, right? King, right? Except that we know that he came as the Lamb of God the first time, right? And then we see him go into the temple and cleanse the temple, right? Then we see these four waves of the religious leaders asking him questions. Then we have him ask them a question, which they don't answer. And then we have this moment. So don't miss this moment. This is absolutely glorious. Picking up in verse 41, it says this, Jesus is just taught and he's taught warning about the scribes and the arrogance of the religious leaders. And then it says this in 41, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, I just want to back up. Don't miss this. It says that he sat opposite the treasury. So where people were putting in their money, Jesus sits opposite. He sits down and he starts observing, watching. What is he watching? It says he's watching how the people were putting money into the treasury. How were they putting it in? Were they making a show of it? Were they looking around to make sure everyone noticed? Were they doing it arrogantly? How were they doing it? How were they bringing their offering to God? Jesus is sitting down, observing, watching this. And he noticed many rich people were putting in large sums. Hmm. And then in 42, he notices this. A poor widow came. And put in two small copper coins, which amount to one cent. Calling his disciples to him. So Jesus is sitting here watching all the rich people. And he notices this this woman, this widow. He knows she's a widow because he's Jesus. He's the son of God. How does he know? He knows because he's God. And he sees her come. In all of the pompous, prideful putting in of offerings, he notices a widow come. I'm thinking that maybe no one else noticed her. But he noticed her. He saw her. And I don't know where you are today, but you might need to remember that Jesus sees you. Mom, he sees you. Wife, he sees you. Daughter, he sees you. He sees this widow come. She didn't make a big deal out of it. She put in her two coins. How does he know? He's opposite the treasury. How does he know what she put in? He's Jesus. He knows who she is. He knows her circumstance. He knows her heart. He knows what she put in. And with everything else going on, it says, it says this, Jesus called his disciples to him. Why? Because he didn't want them to miss what he just saw. He knew Jesus knew if he didn't point this out, the widow out, they wouldn't miss it. They would have been distracted by all of the other flamboyance, by all of the other trappings, by all of the other showings. And he didn't want them to miss her. He wanted to make sure they saw her. He called his disciples to him and he said to them Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of the contributors into the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty, but in all she owned. She put in all she owned. All she had to live on. Wow. The rich were putting in large sums. She put in two copper coins. Two mites. Two mites. The wealthy, it was just extra. The widow, it was all. The wealthy, it was just show. For her, it was genuine sacrifice. Listener today, how are we giving to him? Are we giving just our extra or are we daring to give him our all? He sees us. He sees us. And I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.
1: Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life Podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.